Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Uh, so it's entitled The Mission, and we are going to take like a four-week survey almost of the Bible. You're not going to want to miss any of the four weeks because we're going to start next week. I'm going to be talking about that God by his nature is mission. So we're going to go the whole way back to Genesis. You're like, well, that's kind of wild for Christmas. I thought it just started in the Gospels in Matthew. And we're going to move our way uh, to then Christmas Eve. Speaking of Christmas Eve, our, our theme for Christmas Eve, but even for the whole month is, it's my favorite. We were talking about as a staff a couple months ago, and we were just talking about Christmas Eve service, and someone's like, that's my favorite service because, and someone else is like, that was my, that's my favorite service because, and uh, we were like, yeah, it is. I mean, for many of us, it brings back some good memories or great memories, family memories, and so it's my favorite is going to be the the, the, um, theme. You're going to see that theme all throughout the month of December. We're going to have three Christmas Eve services, three o'clock, 4.15, and 5.30. So, and we have tickets for those on Eventbrite. So you can go to our website. I'll send out an email with the link. They're already live. Uh, they're on Facebook. This year, they're only $40 per ticket. That's terrible humor. They're free. Um, some of you are like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Kidding me? Um, we do that because we want to make sure there's enough seats for you and enough seat for the people you invite. Last year, I know one of the service, we were pretty much standing room. So, uh, so three services. We're actually trying something different. We're moving up to a three o'clock versus doing a 5.30 or, or uh, we are doing a 5.30 instead of doing a seven o'clock or a nine o'clock because uh, it's a day off too. It's Saturday. So anyhow, we're giving that a shot. And those with families maybe want to come earlier. So here's the deal. Next week, you're going to get an invite card. You're going to get one invite card. We're, we're going to do away with the three. We're going to give you one invite card for Christmas Eve, and we're going to ask that every person, staff included, myself included, invites one person or one family to come sit with them. Who do you know that needs to hear about Jesus? Who do you know that needs hope? Who do you know that needs purpose or meaning in life, experience forgiveness? So be thinking and praying about that already, but everyone's going to get one card next week uh, and then uh, make, that, make that invite. Get the tickets. You can go ahead. They're live already. Uh, one of the staff told me there's already 30 or 40 tickets for one of the services taken for. So uh, you might want to jump on that. Get the app out now. I don't care. Get them. Uh, and then reserve a few extra for whoever you're inviting. So that's going to be coming up soon. It's my favorite, and it's going to be kicking off next week. This is week four. Actually, one other thing I forgot. First service, connection card. Uh, if you're new with us today, thanks for coming. We hope if it's your first time, it's not your last. Um, we just really would love to get to know you. And so if, you just, if you're new with us, you could put as much or as little info on the front of that card and then drop it off in the joy box. There's one as you leave this room. There's one as you leave the auditorium. If you're with us online, you're going to get a digital connection card to fill out. On the back of that connection card, there's next step opportunities if you're interested in things. Also, prayer requests. And that's one of the favorite things is to receive the prayer requests. We have a team that prays over those. Any answers to prayer, please put those on there too, and you can drop them in the joy box. It's week four of our series, Idols. I don't know about you, but this series has really challenged me. Uh, I went into it thinking, I don't know. I've never preached on a title of idols. I've preached on things that would fall under the category of idols, but I've never preached on the title of idol. And I'm like, this could be really weird. This could be really challenging. Uh, In fact, it uh, has challenged me. Last week's sermon, Cindy was 
nailed it on the idol of work. If you missed it, I encourage you to go to her YouTube channel. Um, she really challenged on some things with that. Uh, idol essentially is anything or anyone that we put at God status or above God. Uh, I, another way to say it is it's just loving something that's not supposed to be loved that way. In other words, it's, uh, the thing with idols is it's great to love your kids. It's great to love your spouses. It's great to love entertainment. It's great to, to love um, you fill in the blank, right? I mean, these are all good things, but when we love them too much... Or when we love them and we take God out of the equation or we lower God in the equation, it becomes an idol. And many of you have talked to me about things in your life that you're like, I never thought that was an idol before, but now I realize I need to shift a few things. And that's okay. Uh, Shifting is okay because then it makes us more like Christ and we get to know God even better. Today's title is the idol of pleasure. Raise your hand if you like to have fun. 80% It's 80% of us like to have fun. My wife actually would say, if she said, don't raise your hand to that. You don't like to have fun. But uh, we, all like, we all like to have things that we enjoy, right? I, for, fun for me is probably not fun for you and vice versa. But there's nothing wrong with fun. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. I mean, if we lived a pleasureless life, what kind of existence would that be? I mean, that would be boring. That would be kind of like, ugh, right? I mean, I don't think any of us want to sign up for like monasticism or something where we just like, we don't have fun. We don't smile. We don't do enjoyable things. But like anything, it can get out of sorts. It can get out of whack. We can, um, and I guess some little tests, you can maybe self-test or self-analysis. Do you just live for the weekend? Do you live for Friday? Do you, can you not wait to get out of the office or get the kids in bed and, and binge watch Netflix or whatever you do? Um, are you, food, food can be a pleasure, right? It's a good thing, but what, too much of that or, you know, can, can really be a hamper for us. And so this idea of pleasure is challenging because it's like, we need these things. This is healthy to an extent, right? We need to do enjoyable things. There's nothing inherently wrong with Netflix or with Hulu or with Turkey or with going on vacation, right? I mean, those are all good things. Well, those are all things we should do. But like I said, when they get out of whack or when we start loving them too much, that's when we run into a problem. And so what we're going to look at today is, do we have an issue with this? Is it becoming an issue in our life? Have we substituted pleasure? Whatever pleasure might look like for us can be a big category uh, for God and for our love for him. What's the Bible have to say about this? And in fact, what I'm going to bring us full circle on and what I think is kind of the root thing we have to deal with will, will, will surprise you. Because as I was mining through this, I was like, I don't think the root is this. I don't think the root is that. I'm not doing is, is, is Netflix bad and Hulu good or is food better than going on vacation? Because that's not, that, that's not helpful. Those are all in, in their realm and, and within their boundaries, good things. But there's something I think that's at the root of this that I'm going to mine out that when we get that figured out, then we'll be able to take pleasure and do the things of pleasure in a healthy manner that doesn't become idolatrous. There's a guy in the Bible, uh, his name is Solomon. Solomon was a king, he was the third king of Israel. Israel wanted a king, God kept telling him, no, you don't want a king, I'm your king. No, we want a king, all the other nations have a king, we want a king. No, you don't want a king, you shouldn't, I'm your king. And eventually, because he's 
a good dad and he's not going to fight him on it, I guess. He's just like, all right, here you go. So they had a king. The first king was Saul. Saul started out pretty decent and then he got full of himself. Like I probably would have too, if I would have been the king. Uh, and then uh, David became the king after that. And then Solomon. So Solomon was the third king of Israel. Uh, he wrote a bunch of different things that are recorded in the Bible. The Bible, we always think is one book. And it is true in the sense that it comes in one book form, but it's actually 66 books in one. Now I'm glad they didn't take 66 different ones. Could you imagine like looking for your Bible on Sunday morning to bring it to church? I got to find all, I can't find number 61. I don't know where I put that. <laughs> so they're all put together, but where we mess up is we think because it's all one book that all the things in it are identical or all the literary style is the same. And that's where we get a lot of confusion and a lot of even false teaching. So like the first five books of the Bible, for example, uh, Genesis, Levit or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that is historical narrative. And so those who say it's allegory or it is poetry or whatever, you can't say that because it's actually the genre of literature is historical narrative. Now I'm giving you this preface because if you open up the middle of your Bible, which is about where we're gonna be today, and we can put that ver the, um, page number on the screen. I like that people hold their Bibles or get their Bibles out on their phone and not just read everything on the screen. And so we're gonna be in Ecclesiastes 2. You can see the page numbers if you wanna grab the Bibles in your row. If you have it on your phone, I highly encourage that app. We have like 50 or 60 more Bibles coming through your row. I ordered them in uh, August. And I'm serious. And apparently Bibles are not unaffected by supply chain issues. I called the company a few weeks ago. I'm like, did someone steal Bibles? <laughs> like I never got them. They're like, they're back. They're sitting on a boat somewhere. I'm like, so they're going to be here in two weeks. They tell me. So we'll have one for almost everyone in here. I share all the background of literature because in the middle of the Bible, a lot of the books in the middle, like Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon and Lamentations, that's what we call wisdom literature. Okay? It's all wisdom literature. Some of it was written by David, who was the second king, as I mentioned. A bunch of it, though, was written by Solomon. Solomon was the wisest person ever on earth other than Jesus. He was also the most wealthy. He had a kingdom upon kingdom upon kingdom. And so he, towards the end of his life, by around the age of 70 or so, he wrote several different books or several different things that got put into book form. And one was this book called Ecclesiastes. And essentially, he's reflecting on all his life. And he's looking at everything he did. In fact, if you're trying to figure out purpose in life or meaning or just existence, I would encourage you to read Ecclesiastes. You could probably read it this afternoon. It's not heavy in theology or words you wouldn't understand or I don't understand. It's just kind of straightforward. But it's from a guy who like lived life. He lived life to the fullest. And you'll, look at, you'll see what I mean by that in a few moments. But he's introspective as a guy with some wisdom and some age under his belt. And he gives some really good advice on where we should focus and where we shouldn't. Chapter two, though, is he's focusing on this idea of pleasure and all the pleasures he had in his life, all the pleasures he's experienced. And he draws some conclusions. So let's go ahead and read this. To, well, 
you can listen, not together, but I'm going to read it. Okay, here we go. I thought in my heart, he says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. He's, he's doing his own heart check. He's really in, in touch with what he's trying to do here, by the way. He's testing his own heart to see where pleasures fall on the idle spectrum. But he said, that all proved to be meaningless. It's hilarious. So like, here's what I'm doing. Here's my experiment. And then he just gives us the conclusion, like right in the first chapter or first verse too. That's all meaningless. He said, laughter. How about let's try laughter. He said, laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind's still guiding me with wisdom. In other words, I'm in control of what I'm doing here. I'm throwing a party. I'm, I'm, I'm getting some, some beverages, but I'm still in control and I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. He says, I undertook great projects. Again, this guy was filthy rich. He goes, I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers in a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. In other words, he wasn't doing this recklessly. He had a, a point to what he was doing. He goes, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired, I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was a reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was what? Meaningless. A chasing after the what? Wind. Nothing was gained under the sun coming from a guy, lived life to the fullest, experienced everything, chased every pleasure. I mean, he pretty much named everything from food to building things to, to extravagance to sex. I mean, you name it. And he's like, eh, <laughs> still kind of left me empty. Eh, don't do it at home. You know, like, don't try what I did. You know, it was, it was all futile. Here's where I ended up. Now, I wanted you to keep this imagery of chasing after the wind in mind. In fact, for those of you who like to do imagery things in your own head, I want you to picture right now yourself chasing after the wind. And I want you to keep that image in your mind. Some of you are smiling. This is a very happy place for you. Okay, this is very therapeutic. Maybe you need to do this more. I want you to keep this idea of what it looks like for someone to chase after the wind. Now you might be thinking this is ridiculous. Hold on to that thought. Maybe you're right, okay? But I'm gonna come back to that because I think it's a powerful image and I think it's also a powerful thing of this wind. So keep this idea of chasing after the wind and wind in mind. I think there's so many pleasures I've chased after myself, right? Uh, entertainment, uh, I've told you about my guilty pleasure of, of when I'm tired and fatigued and the kids are in bed and I just don't want to think anymore, I just want to veg. My guilty pleasure is going on YouTube and watching baseball players get ejected from games, okay? I've said that before, it's just transparency. And you can say I'm weird and you're not wrong about that statement, but before you point the finger at me, 
You got three pointing back at you because I know you guys are on YouTube watching stupid stuff too, okay? I just know it, right? But we, we all default to some type of pleasure, some type of escape, is it not? A lot of times when we look at this pleasure and when it gets unhealthy and when it becomes closer to idolatry, we're using it as an escape, aren't we? Whether it be literally escaping on vacation. Now, is there anything wrong with vacation? No. Is there anything wrong with two vacations? No. Three is, the only thing wrong with three vacations is you're not bringing me on them. Yeah? <laughs> that's where I have a beef with three vacations. No, I mean, that's not the point. That's why I'm saying I'm not doing this apples to apples or apples to oranges comparison thing. But I think we do, when unhealthy, pleasure becomes this escape. Food, right? Food can become an idol. It can become something that gets equal or greater value than God because we get it out of whack. We get it out of, and it becomes something we seek pleasure from. We seek comfort. We've all been there and there's nothing wrong in the moment, but when it becomes something that is all consuming. I was thinking about this in preparation. Again, full disclosure, about five years ago, I had a really, this time of year, I had a really bad head cold. Now, when you have a really bad head cold, you lose two of your five senses. One is obvious, good smell. The second is taste. It's never great to lose your sense of taste as someone who enjoys food, but the worst time of the year to lose one's sense of taste is Thanksgiving dinner. And I went into that about five years ago or so, into Thanksgiving dinner with no, I couldn't taste, I couldn't smell, I was so congested, so clogged. Now you would think that I didn't eat much that day because I can't taste anything. That might have been the most food I've ever eaten at Thanksgiving. I was thinking about that this past week. Why in the world would someone who can't even taste the ham or turkey or the mashed potatoes, why would you do this? Because I was just seeking pleasure. It was almost like I just had to, right? I mean, some of it's just like, well, you got to, right, Thanksgiving. But it didn't, it, it's foolishness, right? It is kind of meaningless when I think about it. Obviously, it told me sometimes food can be an escape for me. Sometimes I go there. Obviously, if one can't taste it and you still do it, and that's not the only time I've done that, then maybe there's an issue <laughs> starting to matriculate. I was also thinking about um, just even entertainment. Again, escape, getting it to idle. Instead of, instead of where, where does God fit into this, you know, or, or how can I go to God for some comfort or go to God, just, just sit at his feet. I go to this or that, the other thing. One of the things my wife and I did actually to um, re, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of recalibrate pleasure, if you will, is we started something, and this is just free marriage advice, by the way, uh, is uh, we started a thing on Thursday nights, just date night. It came, out, came, came during the COVID season, you couldn't go out, and we have young kids, so we put them to bed and we do takeout. Uh, we just kept doing that. And so we do every Thursday night, almost every Thursday night, we do our date night of takeout. And then we found some series on TV, it was House for a while, and then it was Big Bang Theory, and then it was um, West Wing and some different things because we have opposite, like, well, I only watch sports and she watches all, anything else but sports. Uh, so we finally found some things that we're trying to redeem. That was the word I was looking for earlier, trying to redeem pleasure. And so I think that's one of the things I just want to even throw out there right now is how could you redeem pleasure? How can we redeem food? How can we redeem 
technology? How can laptops, cell phones, vacate? How can we even redeem this so it doesn't become idolatrous? So it doesn't start competing, not only our relationship with God, but with our spouse and with our kids, or it becomes unhealthy, right? Because that's the problem, right? Food in and of itself is not bad, but when it gets into a bad place, we become unhealthy. Same with entertainment, same with just recreation, same with escaping. And so when we look at it and try to get our lenses into the right place, I think we can get into a much healthier place. A friend of mine retold this story. He was actually in Israel and he was uh, taking a tour of Israel and an Israeli gentleman as his guide. And as they were driving, he noticed this flock of sheep being led up this hill. And the person leading them up was from be- leading them from behind and pushing them up the hill. And he said to his guide, he said, sir, I thought... I thought that the shepherd always led his sheep in front and would always take him where he goes. And the guide replied, yes, you're exactly right. The shepherd always leads them from the front. The man you're seeing them leading from behind, well, he's the butcher. (laughs) And I got thinking about that. And I told you a little plot twist with this um, sermon today on the idol of pleasure. I think when we pull it all back, the way to deal with the layers inside, to deal with the root, is to get a better balance and rhythm in life, and it's, a, and it's to remember who Jesus is. You see, Satan leads from behind like the butcher. He's pushing us, he's, he's yelling at us, he's saying, go, go, go forcing us against our will, and that's how he operates. But Jesus is the exact opposite because he's the good shepherd leading us from the front. He's the one who will take us to the place where we need to go. He's the one taking us to places that are good for us. And I think so often we get duped into this rat race of life that I have to do more I have to work more. I have to work harder. I mean, Cindy just nailed it last, at least for me anyhow, when she talked about one way we know that workers are idle is if our performance or the organization we lead is struggling, that it, that it just is, sucks the life out of us. And on the flip side, when it's going well and we're thriving and whatever our, our vocation or whatever we're leading, then it brings us so much joy. We're, we're high or low, right? And I was like, Ooh, that hurt, <laughs> right? Because that's true, right? And what happens is when we were in the basement, what are you doing? You're trying to work even harder and you're frustrated and you're, you're putting in more hours and you're, and you're weary and you're, you're uptight and you're stressed. And then what do you do when we're in that spot? You run to things to just fill the emptiness, don't you? Food becomes comfort, Entertainment just becomes a a, a thing to fill that void. And on the flip side, when things are going well, at least for me, like then we, we can't, we can't let off the gas. Staff's heard that before from me. We can't, we can't, we can't relax. We can't, as soon as you start getting comfortable, then, right? I mean, well, how healthy is that? What kind of culture are you going to create there? How do you live your life with that? What happens is you go faster and you go faster and you work harder and, and enough's never enough, enough's never enough, enough's never enough, and you're worn out and you're tired and what do you do? How does pleasure, pleasure becomes an idol, doesn't it? It's so sinister 
That's how Satan works, by the way. That's why he's the one pushing from behind. It's never enough. It's never good enough. I'm going to just, you know, literally, not literally, but it feels like it is taking you to the slaughter, right? I mean, it's so painful. It's so frustrating. It's so demoralizing. It's so wearisome. It's so fatiguing. And then we have to escape because there's nothing left in us. (laughs) We're exhausted. And so we turn to these things and we turn to the more and we turn to the more and before you know it, and again, I'm not bashing Netflix, we have it, but you're, you're binge watching after binge watching and then there's nothing inherently wrong with watching five shows in a row, but if that's because you're escaping, that's what I'm getting at, if you're escaping and consistently escaping, again, I'm trying to be very careful because if it's just, a, you just need to veg on a Friday, veg on a Friday. If you need to not put your, take your pajamas off on Saturday, don't take your pajamas. But if it becomes a habitual thing, that's when we have a problem, right? And that's when it's become an idol. See, the Father, God, the Father, he's not a hard taskmaster. He's gentle. He's loving. He's caring. He's, he wants to guide. He doesn't want us to live a life of being burdened down and worn out and demoralized and frustrated to the point where we have to escape. And we go into escapism and it leads to unhealthy things. I came across this story the other day. The story's told out of an African, this guy's taking an African safari. He's deep in the jungle. Picture this, he's deep in the jungle in Africa. And the guide before him has a machete and he's whacking away. So he's, this guy, the guide's whacking away all the tall weeds and all the big brush. And the traveler, he, it's hot, he's tired, he's weary. And he asks, he asks this guy, he says, where are we going and how do we know when we're getting there? How do I know, where are you taking me? And he finally said, And how do I know that we're on the right path? How do I know where the path is? To which the seasoned guide stopped and he looked back at him and he just gently and calmly said to the man, I am your path. I am your path. Church, Jesus is saying that to you today. It's not about the idol of pleasure. It's not about trying to eliminate pleasure or trying to maxim or, um, minimize pleasure or try to rationalize pleasure or try to balance pleasure because you'll never figure that out. You'll just, you and I will, will just kind of go lapse in the wilderness on that. It comes down to you and I accepting Jesus' invitation to rest in him. It comes to you and I accepting his invitation to trust him as our guide. It comes to us receiving his invitation just to trust him, to quit trying to strive, quit trying to compare and compete with whoever you're competing and comparing with. Just sit at his feet. It's the Mary and Martha thing, if you're familiar with that in scripture. One just stayed busy the whole time Jesus was there. The other one sat at his feet. The one who was busy got frustrated with the one sitting at his feet. And Jesus' reply was, I'm not going to be here all the time. You need to sit at my feet. It's a lot more enjoyable to sit at my feet. The other stuff will get done. And so I just want to ask you a question today. How's your relationship with Jesus? I told you it was a little bit of a plot twist because you're maybe thinking I'm going to give you this silver bullet of how to balance pleasure and 
how many hours a week you should watch TV and be on your phone. I don't have that answer. (laughs) But I do know this from personal experience, that when I abide in Jesus, this is John 15, when I abide in Christ and he's within me and I'm within him, my life is a lot more peaceful I'm not running to fill voids. And in fact, he tells us if we are not attached to him, he says this, this is his own words, not mine, that apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. And I think sometimes we fall into that trap. We believe, and that's the Satan, Satan's not all, we, we got him cartooned out or looking like it does in a movie or whatever. And Satan always works in very sneaky fashion. I just got to get them busy. I just got to get them to think they got to work more. I just got to think that they got to do this on their own. I just got to get them to think that Jesus isn't really going to help them with anything in life. They just got to do this on their own. It's every man or a woman for himself. It's always, it's always like a one degree lie. It's a one degree lie, but that one degree lie that you and I buy into will train wreck our life if we're not careful. It will destroy our relationships. It will destroy our health. And we're going to go to quick fix after quick fix after quick fix. And we're always going to be left with the same exact thing that happened thousands of years ago by the wisest man ever on this earth. We're going to have the same retort. Everything is meaningless. It's like chasing the what? Don't have to raise your hand. How many of you feel like you're chasing the wind these days? Just chasing, you never grasp it, you never get it, you always, but you're going back for it. You think maybe today is I'm gonna get it. If I just do this, if I just try this, if I just make this adjustment, if I just get up earlier, if I just do whatever, then I'm finally gonna catch the wind. You don't say it like that, but whatever that wind might be. In fact, I wrote down several things that might be your wind. Can any of you relate to these today? Maybe the thing you're chasing is success. Maybe the thing you're chasing is power. Maybe you're chasing security. Maybe you're chasing wealth. Maybe you're chasing after purpose. Maybe you're chasing after healing. Maybe you're chasing after having a spouse or uh, reconciling with your spouse. Maybe you're chasing after loneliness. When is this loneliness ever going to stop? When am I ever going to find just wholeness? Maybe you're chasing after this addiction to finally be defeated. Maybe you're chasing after the self-loathing to stop. You're just tired of just beating on yourself. Maybe some of you today are chasing that insecurity. When's that insecurity? When's that feeling that I never measure up? When's it ever going to stop? Church, today I'm telling you, run to Christ. Seems like really simple advice or like, Mark, it's got to be more complicated than that. It has to be. Life's too complicated. It's got to be more. No. No. No, he's the only one that's ever going to fulfill whatever you're looking for. Because like Solomon, I can feel, I didn't have the, I don't have the riches of Solomon. I didn't get to pull off all the stunts he did, but I did, I've done a number of those. And maybe for a moment they filled whatever was lacking, but then I was always left again feeling empty. And every single time I would say, well, that was meaningless. I maybe didn't use those words, but that's essentially what I was saying. And just until you collide with Christ. 
And then even after you do collide with Christ, we're human and we still can go back to whatever it might be. And we have to remember that he's the only one. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth and the life. No one's gonna get to the Father. I'm the only way. There's nothing else in this world. In Christmas, one of the things I talk about all the time is that God sent a son to be a savior because the only thing that could save us was a savior from our sin problem. He didn't send a politician. He didn't send a doctor. He didn't send a nurse. He didn't send a teacher. he He didn't send a plumber. He sent a savior because you and I needed a savior. And that has not changed. We substitute all kinds of other things into our lives and they always leave us feeling empty because they will inherently Leave us empty. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says this. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I love it. He's so right. That's one way you can tell people or help people understand that is heaven real? Is God real? Try everything out. And if you're still left feeling empty and you try out Christ and you find that Christ is the only thing that fulfilled you, that tells you that we're a temporary residence in this earth. We were only meant to be here for a short period of time to see as many people collide with Jesus as we possibly could. But this is just a temporary, this body is temporary and this existence on this earth, there'll be a new heaven and there'll be a new earth, but it's all temporal. Stay with that image as we close today with chasing after the wind. I think for some of us, we've, we still have that image in our mind and in some ways it's humorous because it's such lunacy. But whatever that wind is that you're chasing, that is meaningless because it's never gonna be caught And even if you think you got wealth, it's not gonna be enough. You'll want more security, fame, whatever. But how about we lean into the one who will never let us down? How about we lean into the one who doesn't push us from behind, but leads us gently in front? I love the message paraphrase of Matthew 11. I wanna, we're, gonna, we're gonna actually have a response time here soon, but I, wanna, I want to read this. If we can put that on the screen, please. From Matthew 11. And I just want it to speak to you today. Maybe it's hitting you right where you are. But would you allow God to speak to you? Are you tired, worn out, burned out? Come to me, Jesus is saying. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to, make, to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. And watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Such a good thing about that gift of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Anyone need that today? It's fascinating how he said the word wind. It's like chasing after the wind. In the Old Testament and New Testament, that word wind is used also. It's in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the word is ruach. And in the New Testament, the word for wind is pneuma. And they both represent God's breath. One, God's breath, God breathing. In the New Testament, it's the Holy Spirit or that pneuma, that power. 
I thought it was so fitting as I was just working on things and tightening some stuff up this week. I'm like, wow, this is perfect. Because you and I have two options today. We can either chase after that wind or we can receive the breath of God. We can receive his power. We can receive his presence. We can receive his healing. We can receive everything that he wants to give and even more. We opened up with two songs this morning, or three songs, but two of those songs talked about the wind of God. They talked about the breath of God. And so we're gonna, a lot of weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna change stuff up and we're gonna start having a lot more response times at the end of services. If we could put that up there, I'm gonna give you five or six different ways to respond. We're gonna, these are open options to respond however you want. You could give as a, just a response to just say, God, you've been so faithful. I just wanna give back. And that's, that's an act of worship. These are all acts of worship. You could pray. Just, we have uh, prayer benches we have up here now. Some of you have been in church a long time. Maybe you call them altars, but just a prayer station. It's another station where you could just come and do business with God. You can do business at your chair too. Sing another way just to express your heart to God's truth. The cross to just confess or surrender. Communion. We have communion stations around here just to receive him and remember what he's done for us. And then the candles over to my right, your left, uh, to just light a candle. First service, people are responding all over this place. Here's what I've learned in many years of not only ministry, but of life. There's been many times in a service just like this that God's knocking on my heart to respond. And I don't. And then I just go on with life. But there's been other times that I know if, if I don't respond now, I'm just gonna just kind of go on with life. And I respond in that moment and I have an encounter with the living God that I can't imagine what it would have been like if I would have missed it. And so we're just gonna give you opportunity. We're gonna give you space to respond as the band leads us in a couple songs. So would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna invite that wind, the Ruach, the Numa of God, the presence of God to come fill this place. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come give rest to the weary. Come give freedom to those enslaved. Father, would you just show yourself to each of us today? Maybe some of us just need to be reminded that you're just proud of us. We don't have to work harder to earn it. You, we're your kid and you delight in us. But Father, we, we as an act of worship want to respond to you in gratitude. And we want to respond so that we can get to know you a little bit better. So come Holy Spirit, come fill this place. joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.